So I'm excited to welcome to the show today, Keith Fifeson. Let me tell you a little bit about Keith before we get started here, because you're going to find this really interesting. Keith Fifeson is a mindfulness coach, counselor, and consultant. He worked with professionals in organizations to help them find resilience, rise to challenges using mindfulness techniques, and apply neuroscience for better decision-making. His mission is, quote, health is wealth, and he shares his, he shares this through his book, the Mindfulness Experience. Keith brings his personal experiences in high-stress environments to create this program, along with a series of programs that he addresses individual needs. An alumni of PricewaterhouseCoopers and the former CEO of ITESA. Um, we'll, we'll find out what the heck. Keith, what is ITESA? IT Enabled Services Alliance. It's oh. uh, really about uh, people convergence, bringing people together from around the world using technology and communications as a way to do that. Beautiful. And so this is an alliance. This is like a, um, a cross mm -hmm. organizations. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yep. So he uses his unique perspective to apply mindfulness into professional environments. Keith helps his clients streamline communications to stress less be more effective, and enrich outcomes. So thanks thanks a lot, Keith, for coming on to the show. I'm really so glad to be here, Brett, and I really thank you for the opportunity to chat around mindfulness. Your focus is, um, is it exclusively on mindfulness in business, or is that your primary focus? Uh, well, just to give you a little bit of the background that you already outlined there, uh, you know, I got involved in the corporate area, specifically in the call center communication area. And it occurred to me that within the first 10 to 15 seconds of any kind of a call, mm -hmm. you could really tell, uh, you know, how the call was going to go because, you know, there's nothing more intimate than mm -hmm. having someone in your ear, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and the exchange, the communication and the engagement that you really had with that individual. So, uh, early on, uh, when I was involved in a very stressful environment, I, I came out of the telecommunications area. I was involved with MCI and AT&T mm -hmm. and British Telecom and got very much involved in global outsourcing. Mm -hmm. And I just, I really, uh, myself was dealing with a lot of stress and I could tell that no matter how much technology you had, if that individual wasn't present for you on the phone, if they weren't present for you in real life, it was pretty sure that that kind of call, that interaction, that engagement, that hmm. engagement was not going to be uh, really very, very successful. And I call those sacred moments of truth. Sacred so moments of truth in the call center. Sacred <laughs> moments of truth, right. So it's sort of that sacred moment where, you know, you've got a problem and you're really trying to find the solution to the problem and you're hoping that that person mm. at the other end of the line is going to be able to fish you out mm -hmm. and really help you. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, ba basically about 30 years ago, I, I got very much involved uh, in trying to take care of my own stuff. I became a yoga teacher 27 years ago, and it was really through meditation and through mindfulness mm -hmm. and through the work that I did uh, there that I really started to incorporate a lot of that work into my corporate work mm -hmm. and uh, not only for myself, but for the benefit of others. So. Like you said, the first 15 seconds, let's just say, you, you know, you've got two people and they're basically have the same call script, right? And one of mm -hmm. them is connecting and one is not. What causes mm -hmm. that to occur? What, what's the, what are the dynamics in that? 
Well, you know, there's a, there's an old uh, kind of trick, if you will, in the call center area. And they always say, uh, put a mirror in front of the phone or put mm-hmm. a mirror in front of you. And when you're talking, make sure that you're smiling. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other uh, idea of rebooting, you know, mm. and we have this methodology in mindfulness, which is or the stop methodology. And I'm sure you are very familiar with it. And it's, <laughs> it it's basically stop take a breath, observe what's going on, mm-hmm. pause, mm-hmm. and then proceed. Mm-hmm. And it's the same idea in the call center area. It's the same idea in any kind of communication. What we need to do is we, we need to reboot. And there are so many ways to do that during the course of our daily life, whether or not we're getting up from our desk, whether or not we're walking into another room, whether or not we're taking a, a sip of coffee, whether or not we're walking out the door for a stroll. There's so many opportunities to take a breath, to observe what's going on, mm-hmm. to pause, and then to proceed. And that really, I think, is the commonality of what really makes people engaged or not, whether or not they're really present mm-hmm. or whether or not they're hung up, you know, they're hung up with the call that they just hung up from <laughs> or, 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 or they're really present to what's going on right mm-hmm. now so for themselves what, and others. Yeah. So if I hear what you're saying, you're saying that when you take that moment to kind of get mm-hmm. present with yourself and you're smiling, that people can just tell audibly there's someone inhabiting this voice that there's sort of a, a meta communication going oh, on. Oh yeah. There yeah. 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 And you know, you can call them different things. We call them embodying, right? You're, mm-hmm. there's this sort of, you know, when we use that term, are you embodying your, 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 you know, people, how are you embodied? And a, mm-hmm. a lot of times people will say that sounds a little woo woo, mm-hmm. but you know, it's really about being in your body mm-hmm. and you know, they're in mindfulness. We have this, Uh, another practice about, you know, uh, compassion, inner smile, Mm -hmm. loving kindness, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in Taoism, they call it the inner smile and, 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 and a lot of uh, practice in the, in the secular area will say compassionate thinking, smiling to yourself, being aware of your own sense of gratitude, your own sense of thankfulness, being aware that you have an opportunity to maybe change someone's life. Mm-hmm. And that really, I think, is the essence of it. And it really does, you know, there's an opportunity to, you know, to uh, transpire uh, all kinds of boundaries and really transform other people mm-hmm. as well as yourself. So somehow or another, all of this morphed into you deciding you were going to write a book. So uh, how did that story come about? How did you decide, you know, what I need to do is I need to write a book and I'm going to call it the mindfulness experience. And so you got motivated because writing a book is a big deal. I've been working on one for like a year and a half and it's still not mm-hmm. not done. So I, I, I really appreciate the like the amount of courage and, and um, you know, the lift, the heavy lift that that is. So tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about how you got started on that journey. Well, you know, I started writing a book. Uh, my book just recently came out, and uh, I started writing it probably about two and a half years ago. And I really appreciate what you're saying, Brett, because, you know, there is that practice of when you're a writer, mm-hmm. uh, you need to write. And mm-hmm. then, of course, you know, the question becomes one of what am I writing this for? <laughs> Who's going to read it? You know, is it is it really all that important? And, you know, there are a lot of things that go into that, right? Yeah, and, you know, if I if, if you inject something like in two years, 
you're not the same person you were when you started writing two years ago. And so there's this like this dynamic shift that goes on. Oh, mm -hmm. am I really, it's not a static thing, you know, this who you are, your point of view. So I, I, I hear what right, you're saying. Right, right, right. And my, and my point of view really changed. I wound up uh, really feeling that the book was writing me, hmm. especially when I started circulating it and people started you know, reading it and giving me feedback and so on and so forth. So the book really was uh, designed uh, in a lot of ways out of gratitude. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a, a lot of gratitude for a, a lot of the challenges that I came through in my life. And I've been very, very fortunate. You know, I, I, I came from a very dysfunctional home. Mm -hmm. I wound up, uh, I was out of the house when I was 17. And then I joined the Army, and the Army really helped me get into the communications business. I really wanted to go ahead and make a difference somehow. Uh, I was involved with uh, telecommunications, the ballistic missile defense communications activity. Mm -hmm. I was in a, uh, I'm an army vet mm -hmm. and uh, they gave me the GI bill and I wound up going to college and I've been fortunate enough to travel 47 countries. Wow. See a lot of the world. Yeah. And, you know, but along the way, uh, there were a lot of challenges that I, I had coming mm -hmm. out of that kind of an environment. Uh, and it wasn't really until I um, came through two relationships, two marriages, which I, I basically destroyed uh, because of my, my focus on business and my focus on and my inability to really find a way to deal with my stress. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I was an angry man, very mm. angry. And I wound up uh, again. I had cancer. I had cancer oh, twice. Wow. And uh, I had cancer, uh, Hodgkin's at 27. Then I had it again at 37 years Yikes. old. I had not Hodgkin's, but I had a soft tissue sarcoma. And that's, and that's really around the time that I became a yoga teacher and I found meditation. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, there's really something good here. So let me try to put that into a, a format and a way to communicate that out, put some flesh on it. And communicate that out to the world hmm. in, a, in a way that really speaks to mindfulness in terms of how to use these tools, these strategies. I call them the MX-8 strategies <laughs> uh, for mindfulness experience strategies. Mind and, yes, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and, and how to use those to go ahead and really uh, affect some change in your life. And as a coach and as a life coach and working with a lot of executives, I've, I've, I've used the strategies not only for myself, but with the executives. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are resonating with being present for the moment in a number of ways. It's not just about sitting down. It's not just about, you know, having a mindfulness practice, mm. very important, but it's really about, you know, breathing and learning how to be present for what's going on. And more importantly, learning how to use your words, you know, learning how to communicate and connect. Well, yeah, I mean, you're speaking my language of mindfulness literally right there, because it really is about, to me, it's not, I find too much focus on the solo practice, like what you sit down and you just do by yourself. So yes, to, you need that, you must do that work. Um, and then what, right? Yeah, you don't want to leave your mindfulness on the cushion, right? You want to take it into the world because what is your life but an experience of moments and being present for that. And therefore, you wind up showing up for your own life. So right. what do you, um, what did you find in, in, your, in your teachings that you feel like really helps people get the value of 
learning to lean into being more present, uh, as uncomfortable as that can be sometimes. Because one of the things that happens when you start to be more present, you begin to realize there can be some shadow <laughs> darkness inside. Oh, yeah. Not all joy. Oh, yeah. Like you said, you were an angry man. So how did you right. how did you come to terms with the fact that, hey, you know, there's a Keith in here that's pretty angry and unhappy. How did you separate yourself from that identity? Well, it's about story, you know, mm -hmm. for me. Uh, and I think for a lot of people, they have a story mm -hmm. and uh, they spend a lot of time and a lot of investment in developing that story. And I've always said that if you want to change your life, change your story. Mm -hmm. So in order to change your story, uh, the work I do with men, the work I do with people is really about understanding your own narrative. You know, what is the narrative of your life? Mm -hmm. You know, where, where did you come from? Where did you, where are you now? And where are you going? So it's that hindsight, insight, and foresight. So where have you come from? What's the story there? What are the highs and lows? You know, where are you today? What's the, you know, what's the insight that you have, what that you've gained in terms of that narrative? And where do you want to take that narrative going forward? How do you want to change your story mm -hmm. going forward? So, so um, what's, uh, what I've really done is I've looked at um, these eight strategies, which break down um, life, living life from the inside out first. Mm -hmm. So we've got five strategies that are living life from the inside out. And then there are three strategies which really focus on living life from the outside in. So, uh, and then all of those strategies are tethered with uh, this word, uh, you know, for breath or breathe. Mm -hmm. You know, the root word of the word for breathe is spire, S-P-I-R, mm -hmm. right? So that's the root word yeah, like for the word spire. for breathe. Like right. a, like a word, like a, in, like, so what we do is we look at, you know, breaking that word down a little bit more. So we've got like a church spire, mm -hmm. right? And, and. You know, why is why is there a church spire? Because the breath from all the prayers is designed to go up into the tower, which then are designed to hit the heavens. That's the that's the conceptual. So it's idea. a little heaven or, radio beacon. It's like a heaven radio <laughs> beacon. If if you believe that, that's good. I mean, I like that. I like that conceptually. And then there is this word inspire, right? This word where we take in the breath and we get inspired, we have insight. We have insight into our breath. We have insight to the things that help us to, you know, breathe, if you will. Things that really help us to uh, give life to our own uh, self. So I use that uh, as, as the inside out stuff, if you will, to be inspired through our mind, through our body, through the spirit, in other words, the things that really give us joy mm -hmm. and give us life energy, mm -hmm. right? Through the food that we eat and through the rest or the recharging that we take. Mm -hmm. And those are things that we can find in our everyday life. And when we take a breath and when we are inspired by things, we start to challenge our mind, the negative thoughts, the things that uh, basically expire again, that word mm -hmm. expire, that take life away from us, the things that remove our breath, the things that bring us down, mm -hmm. right? And then there are things that, and, and we can take rest in that, we can respire, we can have some rest and recharge mm -hmm. towards our aspirations, mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. right? And the aspirations, which again, that word aspire, mm -hmm. has uh, uh, the root word of that is breathing life into the world. Mm -hmm. That's the definition. So nice. the root word aspire, but it really is about breathing life into the world, breathing our dreams into the world. Mm -hmm. So I use that throughout the book in a number of ways. And on the outside in strategies, it's about our environment, how do we, you know, how do we keep our environment? If we have a, if our closet's messed up and our kitchen dishes aren't done and our, we haven't cleaned the house, I can tell you right away that we're going to be, we're going to be moving towards expire where, <laughs> where our, our spirits are down. And if we take care of our environment, then I can tell you we have a better chance, especially if things are nice, if we have plants, if we have nice lights, if we have things there. So that's about in the book as well, so the environment, the relationships, how do we breathe life into the relationships? Again, space, giving space to the relationship, putting down the right boundaries. And then the aspirations, mm -hmm. what are the things that we're doing in terms of our life? Who do we want to be? Not just about, you know, who is our, our future self? What are we dying for? Mm -hmm. You know, what do we want a legacy to be? What do mm -hmm. we want to leave behind? So all of these things really um, went into the book, and all these things really helped me to, to write the book because I really wanted to leave a manual, a guidebook, if you will, mm -hmm. behind, uh, especially during the period of COVID. I thought that was a, I thought that was a good idea uh, that people could uh, at least turn to something as a guidebook to find some inspiration and aspiration and uh, find their breath in the world so wow there's so much in all of it and then there's perspire right like doing the oh, work yes. right <laughs> that's the big one right yeah, because right. you can have the inspiration without the perspiration <laughs> right. you know you, you it's basically the dream is an expiration <laughs> <laughs> and how many people how many people are armchair armchair inventors but they never really do the work required to go ahead and actually create it and do you know put it out into the world well you know? right and there's armchair mindfulness you know it's kind of like uh, i know a lot of people who and myself included in that at times who do more thinking about mindful than being mindful and it's kind mm -hmm. of like i i had to kind of snip you know slap myself out of it one day it's like i'm You've been thinking about mindfulness for like three days now, and you just actually be present with your experience rather than thinking about how you're going to explain stuff and realizing, you know, just thinking about a topic that you're fascinated with um, isn't the same as being present with your experience. And that's uh, an important. Mm, isn't that isn't that isn't that so, you know, it's uh, it's funny. Um, often the people who um, who teach are the people who uh, also want and need you know, course, the knowledge yeah. as, as much as possible. I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel like uh, you can't really teach effectively except from your woundedness, you know? It's kind mm -hmm. of like that's what you know, that's what you fought for, that's what you struggled through. So even mm. in, in, in your story, you're saying, you know, you had such... I mean, you know, your bouts with cancer and your anger and learning all of that. I mean, that's those are hard battles to fight. And and, you know, so, you know, tip of the hat and, and bowing to the courage and the warrior spirit in a way to fight through that, to land in somebody who's like, you know, kind and caring and open and hearted and gracious when it's you really have habituated natures to kind of take you into something and some legit complaints, you know, like, oh, my God, I had 
you know, health issues that are serious. And the question I sometimes ask people and myself as well is like, okay, so these are facts in your life. Now, who do you want to be that these things are so? And Mm. rather than railing against the fact of it, accepting the fact of it, and then organizing around what is true rather than Mm. what you would wish to be true, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's so that's so poignant, um, and uh, it's such a tricky question mm-hmm. in our culture because we're so hard on ourselves. Yes, you know, we're so hard on ourselves, and um, you know, there's no shortage of of guilt and shame and trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in a trauma-ridden society, and yeah. a lot of that trauma, uh, the nature of trauma, whether or not it's implicit or explicit. Uh, is to repeat itself. So we're, you know, uh, we went, my wife and I went out to the movies uh, this last week. We saw James Bond, which was sort of oh, yeah. fun. You know, it was, it was two hours and 45 minutes of just sort of comic No book. Time to Die or what was yeah. it? Something like that? It was, that? yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, I think it was No Time to Die or yeah. Last Time to Die, but he, <laughs> I don't want to give away the, <laughs> I don't want to give away the, the movie, but it was it was a lot of fun, but there were about nine trailers, and every one yes. of the trailers was about was about the end of the world. It was about <laughs> the end of the world, the end of humanity, and you know James Bond was not much different, but you knew it was sort of comic book, you know, hero stuff, shooting guns and all that. Yeah, well, he's saved, trying to save the end of the world at least, you know, exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, you know, there is so much trauma and, um, you know, there's not enough kindness. And yeah. I would say what you I appreciated what you said about the warrior. I mm-hmm. think there's so much warrior mentality that there is little room for the lover. You know, mm-hmm. there's very little room for, you know, and, you know, as well as I do, that within the mindfulness practice that the, you know, mindfulness, you can be the uh, the, the the greatest mindfulness practitioner and be a sharpshooter and kill people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, you can use mindfulness to be present and to do harm, not only to yourself in terms of the self, you know, the, the ability to really understand when you've done something, you know, it's that the, the idea of, you know, the uh, cloudy fish tank, the old mm-hmm. analogy of, mm-hmm. you know, in a cloudy fish tank, you can't see the you know, uh, the dirt, Mm -hmm. if you will. But when it's, once it settles down, you can see the finest spots. So you can be a really mindful, um, judge of your own deficiencies and you can be really mean, Mm -hmm. I mean, to yourself possibly, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but having that sense of compassion and kindness that I think is much more important to have, um, Mm-hmm. A, a, a sense of self-compassion and a sense of, mm-hmm. of, of compassion in the world. We need a lot more of that. And I would say more than anything, uh, vulnerability and having the emotional literacy to say, you know, I'm not perfect and I'm not right. And I, I, I did wrong. And, you know, we can do better. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for that. That's really well said. And I, and it speaks to the point we were just making about, teaching from your woundedness, right? It's kind of like, yeah, I did wrong and I've done wrong and I'm going to do wrong and I'm imperfect, but I'm, I'm better than I was. And here's how I got there. And, uh, and isn't that the human condition? Like, I hope I, right. You know, it's like 
we we can do things to help us become more aware of our our circumstances and it's always a mystery to me how someone could inhabit a body like the amazing animal form that we have and not get curious about how it works you know mm. how does mm-hmm. how does this brain work how do my emotions work how what's the how does this actually influence my decisions and mm. am i mm-hmm. are they driving me am i driving them what makes them rise and fall what about this thing i experience like moods you know because people do a lot of things in their moods they make they make decisions that, that can change your life because you're in a bad mood or you're in a good mood you know you get I know people who have been manic depressive and uh, when they're manic, they can do really crazy things, you know, buy houses, go on world tours and, you know, really, really do things that impacts the rest of their lives. And it's just really interesting to me that as a, as a species, more people don't just look in the mirror and go, well, how does this thing work? (laughs) There's this uh, mnemonic. Uh, it's called HALT. Uh, are you familiar with nope. HALT? H-A-L-T? Mm-mm. So, you know, it, it really says that uh, we need to be really aware, self-aware of when we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, mm. right? Because those, one, specific, like sp- those specifics, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, they can impact the neurology, Mm-hmm. Right, the neurology and the physiology, right, the biology of the of the of the body with, that we inhabit, which impacts the psychology of how we look at the world. And you know, the world itself is not necessarily good or bad, right? It's the perception that we project into the world from the psychology that we have. So if we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, chances are that our psychology will be somewhat off. You know, chances are that we'll make bad decisions. Chances are that we'll be a little bit too, you know, crazy. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll binge watch. We'll, you know, and, and, and then, of course, you know, you add into the trauma. You add into that hyper-aroused or hypo-aroused sort of state. And then, you know, you, you have a, a, a Molotov cocktail just waiting to explode. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. No, you're yeah. so right about that. And it's like we're not, we're, I think neuroscience, recent advances in neuroscience, and I know you're into this as well from our previous conversations, um, are really showing us how, um, how should I say, what's the word, um, transient our decision-making capacities or how influenced they are by by these kinds of things like uh, recent research on the decisions that judges make during the day have shown that you better hope that if you appear before a judge, you do it in the morning and not right after they've eaten because the number of like guilty verdicts and the number of just harsh, harsher sentences and harsher judgments come down after lunchtime is dramatic i mean it's not even close it's like it changes hugely to in the afternoon versus the morning and this is you know not of course a hundred percent across the board but uh, enough to be statistically significant in some major ways and so consequently now if you go and you ask those people is this so they'll say no they'll feel like internally they're being even-handed because you know who wants to admit that 
you're a meaner person at one part of the day than the rest of the day, particularly when you're in a position where your decisions have an impact on people financially and viscerally. And so it's kind of like, oh, my God, the the notion that that is can be influenced by just eating <laughs> right. is something that we haven't even really considered before. Right, right, right. Well, thank goodness I, um, I, 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 I don't have any experience with that firsthand. But uh, it's so true that uh, in the afternoon, I have far less energy and can be a little bit more, you know, I think that's where people start to take their three o'clock coffee yeah, or their, absolutely. You know, their three o'clock nap or whatever it is that mm-hmm. they do, the siesta. Right. You know, so, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. all those things influence our decision making and the way we feel and the kinds of things we say and we do. And, you know, wouldn't it be nice if things like call centers and judges and juries and the entire world was mm-hmm. informed by these facts of our neurochemistry rather than just imagining that we're this even handed you know, consistent system of judgment throughout the day. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, and I totally agree with that. And in fact, I really do believe that, and we see much more of the emotional, uh, learning, uh, the ESL emotional skills, learning, uh, capabilities in schools now, which I'm really very, very thankful for that really gives kids, uh, the emotional literacy that Mm -hmm. they need because, you know, many, we don't we don't get a, a handbook. We don't really get a handbook in terms of really understanding how does this body work? How does this brain work? You know, what's the neurology, <laughs> exactly. biology, and yeah. psychology here? That's that. Because when I'm not, when I'm feeling bad or I'm not feeling good, then, you know, I, I, I may need to just stop for a minute and, you know, brush my teeth, <laughs> you know, because... <laughs> You know, or brush my thoughts, you know, and, or just take a look at what my thinking, stinking thinking, move a muscle, change the thought, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so, so how do you find that in a business context, mm-hmm. the concepts of, a, uh, of mindfulness and learning to be present, how do you find that applies in terms of uh, businesses receptivity you know, or at the organizational level? Like when mm-hmm. you're talking to them, it's like, what's their entry point? What's, what's motivating them to say, we want this for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, productivity and engagement, number one, you know, uh, it's not only quality, but it's tw- uh, not only quantity, but it's quality and the ability to engage because we do know that engaged employees are happy employees. So, you know, if you start from the outside in, you start thinking about the environment, nice, spacious environments that are airy, the ability to, you know, have people connect. Nowadays, it's a little bit harder, but, you know, there are tools, technology tools that bring people together and allow them to really understand who they're working with and how, you know, they can connect with other people on an emotional level. Mm-hmm. So that's that brings into account not only the environment, but the relationships. Uh, the spirit of the organization really is the leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what what kind of tone is the leadership bringing into the organization? Is it aspirational? Is it inspirational? Mm-hmm. Is it something that really gives people something to work for? I will tell you that most people will work for an organization that inspires them, that mm-hmm. helps them to you know, put in place some aspirations for their lives. And they'll work for that organization more so than another organization that may pay them more money, but doesn't give them any of the 
you know, any of the insight or any of the foresight that they might need for their own lives. Mm -hmm. And then there are other things like information. Information is the, you know, the knowledge. Information and data are the knowledge that allow organizations to see what's going on and really have some accountability. But when you bring it down to the individual, teaching them tools, giving them self-help tools to reset, reboot, and re uh, and 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 if you will, uh, reconfigure or defrag and reconfigure uh, their thinking on the day. Those are the things that you know. I think most teams really need, most individuals need, and most managers need, especially in a high stress environment. Mm -hmm. So when you start looking at those, the real question, and we've been talking, I've been talking about this uh, with uh, with Mike, who's heading up uh, the Institute for Organizational Management. As a matter of fact, we mindfulness. had a that was Institute for yeah, yeah, mindfulness, yeah. Institute for my uh, organizational mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, that's right. Uh, well, I've been talking to him about the whole idea of uh, looking at an <laughs> ROI calculator. Yes, uh -huh. you know. And, and how does that look like on a product, productivity and a quality level? And what are the upside, what's the upside of engagement and quality within the organization? So those are very, I think those are very uh, important things to look at. And uh, I, more and more organizations are doing it. You know, more and more organizations have uh, a real idea uh, that we need to have more engaged people mm -hmm. on board, people who are more emotionally literate mm -hmm. and people who are able to go ahead and talk about the vulnerabilities of the organization, share and really talk about how do we, you know, move from a position of dis-ease to a position of wholeness mm -hmm. that really is, uh, you know, healthy uh, as an ecosystem and as an organization. So do you think that the current, what do they call it, the great resignation that's going on, do you think this is mm -hmm. related to, like, dissatisfaction with the lack of these things in, in, in work environments? I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really do. Uh, and I think there has been, uh, over the last couple of years, there's been a... A period of time, uh, and COVID, if nothing else, the pandemic has given us that period of time to have more insight. You know, we, we I mean, it is that, I use that hindsight, insight, foresight. Mm -hmm. So I think we've had, I think we've been so wrapped up in, you know, the, the, being on the spinning wheel, the treadmill, if you will, mm -hmm. that we really didn't get enough time to stop and say, hey, is this really working? You know, mm -hmm. is this is this working for me in all of the areas of my life? Is it working for me in my relationships? Is it working for me in my environment? You know, is it aligned with my aspirations for my life? And how am I doing in my own mind? You know, mm -hmm. how am I how are my thoughts? Am I taking care of my body? Am I eating the right foods? Am I sleeping well enough? And I think it's given us that time, that period of time to kind of rest and, you know, go inside and say, you know what, uh, I, I, don't, I don't need to make a gazillion dollars. Really what I want is a want, I want a better life experience. Mm -hmm. I want a much more mindfulness experience, if you don't mind me bringing it back to, towards the book. And I want to look at ways of doing that for mm -hmm. my life. Mm -hmm. And that I think more than anything else uh, is, is really kind of behind why I wrote the book, which mm -hmm. is to kind of give people maybe a little bit of a toolkit or a guidebook to, you know, help them to figure that out for themselves. There's uh, uh, questionnaires, there's 
assessments. There's a lot of tools within the book. It's a nonfiction book. And it's really much more of a, you know, a guidebook than anything mm-hmm. else. And mm-hmm. I put myself in the book and help people along the way. Mm-hmm. So. Nice, nice. Well, I would encourage people to go uh, to, to check it out. So where would people find you if they want to find out more about you and your work? Thank you. Uh, yeah, they can go to workmindfulness.com. That's workmindfulness, one word, dot com. And uh, the book itself is available on Amazon. You can get it through Barnes & Noble. You can get it through popular platforms. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, you just uh, put in the mindfulness experience, eight strategies to live life now. Uh, or even easier, uh, you can put in Keith, five son, F-I-V-E-S-O-N. And uh, I'm the only Keith Fiveson on Amazon, so I should <laughs> pop up there. There you yeah. go. And I would there encourage uh, listeners to check it out because, as you can tell, Keith is a great guy and knows his stuff and has walked his talk for a lot of years and has some great things to say. And, and I really appreciate how you, you keep it very practical. You know, it's like you know, the, the tools and toolkits and resources and making it real for people is really super powerful and important. So if you're looking for some uh, great advice and some support, check out Keith and his work. And thank you so much for appearing on the podcast today. Brad, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank Thank you you so much. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review and follow on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen. Those reviews and follows really matter and help get the word out about the podcast because we're trying to grow the show and your help would be greatly appreciated. Um, You can find out more about what I'm up to and other great content at languageofmindfulness.com where you can find links to the coaching that I do. It's a lot less expensive and more powerful than you might think. So check it out. Also, a lot of people ask me how to get started on a mindfulness meditation practice. So I have an outline, a blueprint for getting started with the mindfulness meditation practice at languageofmindfulness.com forward slash now. Check it out and I hope you like it. Till next time, stay present.